All right. Good evening. Good to see everybody here this evening. Good to see a pretty good crowd out for a Sunday night service, especially on a time change weekend when it's getting dark. Brandon said he didn't like it. I do like it. I, I like. Uh, I, I'm not sure I like the, it getting dark like this, but the, this is a fun time of year for me. I enjoy it. I enjoy coming to Sunday night service. It being dark outside. Uh, this may make some of you mad, but I enjoy that uh, here in a few weeks we'll be able to turn that fireplace on back there, and it'll be cold outside and warm in here. It'll, it'll just feel like home. It'll feel like Christmas is what it'll feel like. Uh, but if you've got your Bibles with you tonight, turn with me to the book of First Timothy, and we'll, we'll get back into our study of First Timothy. It is a pastoral epistle, which you guys know that. Uh, we, we've been through it several weeks already, and he's cut, this pastoral epistle is a, a, a letter that Paul would be using to correct the church, to correct uh, Timothy, the pastor of the church. So this is meant to correct us, and, and it's a how-to manual on how to do church, and for us to, to take our church and to do what with, with our church what the Bible says for us to do. The Bible is our authority. The Bible tells us how to do things, so we want to follow the Bible. And I think tonight will be a corrective for us that we will, as a church, uh, it goes with the last time we preached, be corrected in this way. This passage here tonight is going to tell us, I think it will bring us to our knees, and it will command us to be a praying church. That first of all, uh, among all other things that we could be doing, that we must be a praying church. It will tell us to pray, and it will tell us why we ought to be praying. So that's really the reason, I, the, the title of the sermon tonight is, Why Should We Pray for the Lost? So I want to read this to you. We'll read verses 1 through 7, and I want to answer that question. Not, not that we should pray. We, we did that last time. But why should we pray for the lost? So let's stand together, and I'll read these verses to us, and, and we'll get us a start on, the, on this passage tonight. I think it's a great passage. Uh, it, it, it has brought me to my knees, and, and I think it ought to bring all of us to our knees as we study this on why we should pray for the lost. So starting in verse 1, and it all goes together, we looked at verses 1 through 2 last time, we'll focus on verses 3 through 7 tonight, but it says in verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, and we talked about that last week, that number one, priority number one in the church ought to be supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. And here's the why. That's why I said, why should we pray for the lost? Because it said in verse 3, for this is. So here's the reason why we ought to be doing it. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in verity. We'll stop there, but let me, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll look at the reasons tonight on why we ought to be praying as a church for lost people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and how it does correct us, how it does set us right. Um, God, Second Timothy says that as we preach, that it ought to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So, God, I think this is a reproving and a rebuking passage. And I pray that, you, that we would have hearts that would say, reprove us, God, rebuke us, so that we can know the right way to do things. And I pray, God, that this would bring us to our knees, that we would become a church that prays for the lost. We would see why that's very important for us. So, God, help us. And I pray that, and I'll pray it tonight, we ought to be praying this way, that you would save the lost. That we would take the gospel and we'd share it. That's what you tell us to pray for, or to take the gospel to all the world. But then behind that, we ought to be praying for all the world. 
that we ought to be praying for those in, in authority over us, our president and vice president, that they would be saved, our governor and our lieutenant governor, our mayor and our town council, and all those who have authority over us. I pray that you, God, would save them. So, God, please bless this time tonight as we study your word, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There was a story told of a, of a great missionary, Hudson Taylor, and he was on a fishing boat with a friend, and he was just uh, going across the, the ocean, and his friend, who was a lost man, and he was trying to share the gospel with him on, his, on this trip across the ocean, and this, this friend of his, Hudson Taylor, fell off the ship. Uh, the, the story doesn't tell how he fell off the ship, but they were apparently uh, riding along the ship, and he was sitting along the edge, and, and he fell off, and he fell into the water, and Taylor, uh, loving this friend, knowing he was lost, jumped in after him. And he went into the ocean looking for his friend, trying to find him. And he was amazed that of all the people that was on the ship, he was the only one that jumped in. And he looked and he looked and he looked and he swam and he swam and he, and he couldn't find his friend. So they pulled him back up on the boat and, and he looked at him and said, you guys got nets, you've got all this equipment here, why won't you help me find him? And they wanted money. They said, you pay us and we'll help you. So he took out the money that he had and he gave him his last dime and said, help me find my friend. He's in, he's in the ocean somewhere. We've got to find him. He's lost. And they found him, but it was too late. He had passed away. And the story tells a striking picture of men that were too self-centered, men that were too calloused, men that were too unconcerned to save this man. They watched while a man drowned. And I tell this story because I think it's the reality of most churches in the world today. That we are surrounded by, not by men that are drowning in an ocean around us. We are surrounded by people who are perishing in their sin. We're surrounded by people who are lost and, and unbelieving and on their way to hell. We are, we're surrounded by people who need to know the truth of the gospel. They, they need our help. They need to know the way. They need to know how to be saved. They need to, to hear the gospel. The church is meant to be a life-saving mission. It is our job to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying, to, to reach out a hand and to show them the way. But we sit while they die. We've got family and friends that are perishing all around us and we say nothing and do nothing. The church has become, unfortunately, too self-centered, too calloused, too unconcerned to do anything about it. The tragedy is we watch and we play church and we do all kinds of other things while people die and go to hell. It's a sad reality. It's happening in our churches today. And it was happening in Timothy's church here. That's exactly what was going on. The issue here is that this church, Ephesus, had become too isolated. They, they were not keeping everybody out. They were just keeping a select few out. They were keeping some out. They had become exclusive. They, they were not letting certain people, types of people, into the church. They had become cold and calloused and careless towards some. And Paul here corrects them. That's what he said in verses 1 and 2. The, the first correction for any of us, if we want to be, be uh, take our hearts that are cold and calloused and careless and to make them caring is to pray. You, you, can't, you can't not want to reach out to somebody if you're sincerely praying for them. So Paul starts that out. And I, I don't even think it's really about praying. I think it's about evangelizing. I, last time we preached, I said he wants us to pray. But it's not just praying. He wants us to reach out to the lost. And the first step to reaching out to lost people is to pray for lost people. Is to desire for lost people to be saved. So he tells us there, you've got to pray for these people. 
And he says that in verse 1, I exhort you that first you've got to start praying. Pray for all men, not just some. Pray for the ones you, you like and the ones you, you don't like. Pray for the ones you, that, that you agree with and the ones you disagree with. And I think that the people they were leaving out was kings and those in authority. So he says, I want you to pray. The first thing we can do in reaching out to people who are lost is to pray for them. Not necessarily to talk to them, but to talk to God about them. You see, my prayers can go a whole lot further than my words can. I told, I told him on Wednesday night as we were praying for the lost here at church, I said, my, my arms can't reach out to people in, in England. My arms are not long enough to reach out to people in Africa. My arms aren't long enough uh, to, to reach out to those in the White House. I can't reach those people. My, my voice is not going to be heard in those places. But when I get on my knees and, and I pray, it reaches out to them. First step in reaching the lost is to pray for them. So he tells us that. Pray for them. And now, to, tonight... He gives us the reason why. It's, it's not that he just wants to give us a command, but he tells us why. It's, it's like when I talk to my kids and I'll tell them, do this, and they'll say, why? And I can easily just look at them and say, because dad, dad said so. I've waited my whole life to be able to say, because dad said so. You don't need a reason. I don't have to tell you any other reason other than, I'm dad, you're son, you do it. And Paul could have easily told them, pray, and left it alone. But no, he says, I'm going to give you a reason. And he's not just going to give us a reason. He gives us three reasons here in this passage why we need to pray for the lost. And there's some theology in this. I think that we can learn some things here. I think this will be good for us. But ultimately, I want you to get the point of the passage is to bring us to our knees to pray for the lost. That we need to start seeing those people who are perishing all around us and we don't play church and we don't watch that we actively get involved in reaching the lost. So let's look at it. Why do we pray for the lost? Number one, first reason, great reason, is because it's well-pleasing to God. That's a great reason. I think that might even be the because it pleases Dad for you to mind me. Look what he says. It says in verse 3, for this is, and I'm going to stop right there. What is this is? I've already kind of given that to you, but he's going back to verses 1 and 2. This is, is Paul telling them to pray. This is a good thing. Praying. For this is. Praying for all men. And he says that. It's a good thing to pray for all men. For, for kings. And he says in verse 1, all men. Verse 2, for kings. And for all that are in authority. That's, a, that, that's what this is. Is. <laughs> and that all isn't every single man. That's not going through a phone book. And if, if the young people here know even know what a phone book is. But... To, to, to open up a phone book that had all the names and the numbers in it. And, and for the church, he's not telling us to, to open up a, a directory and to go through every single name in, of everybody in the world and to pray for them every time you meet. He's saying pray for all types of men. Don't leave any group out. You pray for those in authority. You pray for those that are lowly. Don't, you pray for the, the kings and the leaders. And you pray, pray for the peasants. And again, I believe this is who they were leaving out. For kings and leaders specifically. So he says, this is, a, this is what he's talking about. And, and then in verse 4, he tells us the, the prayer request for them is that they be saved. So that's what we're praying for. Paul's telling them to pray for the salvation of those who are in authority. Pray for those who you're leaving out. Pray for those who are lost. So this is who we're supposed to pray for. That God would have, that God would save all kinds of men. That's what he's asking us to pray for. He'd pray he'd, that he'd save peasants and farmers, which is what the first century Christians were. 
They were the lowliest of the low, which is the reason the, the authorities looked down on them. And, and they probably didn't like the authorities because they were mean and they were bad and they were, they were tyrants. So now he's saying, pray for all men, the, the highest and the lowest, the rich and the ruling and the, and, and, and the Jews and the Gentiles, the good and the, the moral, the wicked and the evil, the religious and the hypocritical. Pray for all types of men. And then he says in verse 3, and i got to get back to this, kind of went on a rant there. For this is, that praying for the lost is good and acceptable in the sight of God. What a statement. You ought to find in the Bible, anytime it says that it's good and acceptable to God, or well-pleasing to God, and whatever it is that's well-pleasing to God, you ought to make sure you do that. As a church, that ought to be the criteria for everything that we do. Not that it's well-pleasing to man or popular to the culture, but that what we're doing is well-pleasing to God. We want God to be pleased with what we do here, not what everybody else is pleased with. And that's what it says. This is, this is well-pleasing. This is our standard criteria that what we, if we pray for the lost, and I, I love that. I'm repeating it, but praying for the lost pleases God. He's pleased with it. It says, and not only that he's pleased with it, it's good. This is a good thing to do, and it pleases God. He's pleased with it. He welcomes it. He, he, he blesses it. He applauds it. When we pray for the lost, God looks down and says, well done, good and faithful servants. He works through it. This shows of all that we could be doing, this here is worth doing. This is work to be a part of. This is a, a ministry to get involved in. You got all these programs that people are trying to put into churches and, and everybody's signing up to do this and signing up to do that and we've got a sign up sheet for everything on, on, on earth and, and the thing that everybody ought to be wanting to sign up for is praying for the lost because that pleases God. It's time well spent. This pleases God so it ought to please us. We ought to love praying for the lost. When you look for a church and don't you guys go looking for a church but when people look for a church, they ought to be asking, not does it have kids' ministries, which we do. And we've got kids running around this place left and right tonight. That's a good thing. It shouldn't be, you know, do, do they have a meals ministry or a clothes closet or they all these different things that people ask. One of the first questions you should be asking is, do they pray for the lost people? Because it pleases God and we ought to be doing this. So that's reason number one. It, it pleases God for the church to, to pray for lost people. So verse three there, it pleases God. You, uh, we ought to do it just because of reason number one. That pleases God. Number two, it's the will of God. Number one, it's well pleasing to God for us to pray, pray for lost people. Number two, it's the will of God for us to pray for lost people. This is what he wants. It says there, look, look in, and, and I, I want to start in verse three because it says it's good and acceptable in the sight of God. Who is our Savior. And then it says in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. So there it is. And in the, it's well pleasing in the sight of God. Our Savior. He could have easily just said. In the sight of God. I don't know if you guys notice these things. I just, I just sit and, and pick these things apart. Why did, he, why did he add our Savior in there? It's well pleasing, not just in the sight of, of God, but now he's describing what kind of God we have. It's like Steph introducing to me to somebody, and she says, this is Josh. She doesn't stop at Josh. She says, my handsome husband. <laughs> she is now describing me. <laughs> or Josh, my brilliant husband. You know, I mean, that's how she introduces me. 
She could easily stop at Josh. But now she wants to describe how great her husband is. So Paul could have easily stopped at, at God, but he decided to take it a step further and say, it's pleasing in the sight of God, who is a saving God. That's who He is. That's His nature and His character. He is a saving God. That's what he's saying. That's, what, that's who God is. It's His disposition to save. It's the where He leans towards mercy. Ask Adam and Eve. Which way does God lean? As they broke the only command that they were given, God could have easily leaned towards being a judging God. And He could have wiped Adam and Eve off the face of the planet. God could have done that. We know that. He could have said, Adam and Eve, you're done. You broke the law. You died now. And then He could have went back and started at square one and created another Adam. Adam number two. But God is a saving God. And instead of judging and wiping them off the face of the planet, He saved them. He sought them. He made a sacrifice for them. And He saved them. Because that's His disposition. He's a saving God. Ask Israel. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, they are rebellious. They are stiff-necked. They are wicked. They are, are, are making idols. I mean, just over and over and over. And me, I'm sitting there thinking as I read through the Old Testament, God wiped them out. But over and over, we have a God who is a saving God and He continually brings them back. He's a saving God. Ask Peter, who failed Jesus three times. And Jesus brought him back. Ask the thief on the cross who up to the very last second, he could have said, you've had your last chance, buddy. But instead he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because it's God's nature and God's disposition to be a saving God. That's who he is. Ask every single one of us as we're sitting here tonight what kind of God He is. And the answer is He's a saving God. He could have at any time just let us go our own way in our own rebellion and our own stiff-necked way. And He could have said, go on. But He repeatedly was patient with us and saved us. That's who He is. He's a saving God. And then it shows in verse 4, He's not just in His character saving but in his desires, he's saving. Who will, this God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is an easy thing to, to understand. Who will have all men to be saved, delivered, and to come to a complete understanding of the truth. That God's desire, not only his nature, as a saving God, but his desire is for all men to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what He wants. That's what He desires. Now the question is, if God desires this, why doesn't He have this? So we're going to have to look at this and say, what, is it, what does verse 4 mean? And I, 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 I think I can explain it. And I want you to just kind of think with me here about this is the theological aspect of this. If God desires it, why doesn't He have it? And what does He really desire? Let's look at it in verse 4. It says, who have all men to be saved. So first option, we could say all men connects to all the other all men. I want to say that again. All men connects to all the other all men. If you'll follow the all men throughout this passage, 
You'll see that the all men in verse 1 is not every single man who ever lived. He's not telling us again to open up a phone book and pray for every single person in the entire world. All here doesn't mean all. It means all types of men. You go down to verse 2 and it says for all that are in authority. That's not every single leader in authority. So you get to verse 4 and all there has to mean what it means up in verses 1 and 2. Not just all, every single, but all types of men. I think that's probably the the right way for us to look at it. I think that's the the, the correct interpretation. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Who have all types of men to be saved. You'll have the peasants to be saved and the the leaders to be saved. You'll have just all types of men to be saved. But I still think that takes the heart out of it. I think Paul wants us to see God's heart. So the next option would be We could say all men is all men. That every man in the entire world, God desires them to be saved. That God wants it, that God wills it, that God desires it. That in his mind, that's what he's after. But there's something out there that blocks God that that he can't get what he wants. There's something stronger than God. I don't like that option. But there are people out there who would say that there's something that stops God from getting what He wants and the thing that stops God from getting what He wants is the will of man. That God can't save us unless we allow Him to save us. It's our wills. That's stronger than God. Man's resistance, man's free will keeps God from getting what He wants. I don't like that option. I say no. Because why am I praying to God to save somebody if He can't do it? I should be praying to those who are resisting Him. I don't like this one. God's not a frustrated God. So that's not a good option. We could say all men here. Let's just keep going. You guys can pick which one you like. We could say all men here means all men will be saved. If God desires it, God gets it, all men are going to be saved. I think that's nonsense. That's universalism. And if all men are going to be saved, then why on earth am I praying for people to be saved? You see that? We're just knocking these off. Here's what I think the text is saying. I think Paul wants us to see the heart of God. I'll agree with all men means all types of men, but I don't want us to take the heart away from this. He shows us his nature. And now he's showing us his passion. That God truly in his heart is a saving God. And that he is not a God who's reluctant to save. That he is a God who's not unwilling to save. He's got a, not a God who is holding back in his salvation. But we have a God who's willing to save. Who's eager to save. Who's excited to save. Who loves to save. That the heart of God is a saving God. That's who it is. That's what this is teaching us. That God is a saving God. That is, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall be saved. This is what it's showing us. The heart of God in the way He goes out to want to save people. And it's showing us the heart of God so that we will have the same heart as God. We should want people to be saved. We should have a desire for all people to be saved like God does. That's what he's saying here. And the sad part is, it's not our heart. When was the last time you weeped over someone who was lost? Josh. I told you last time that A.B. Simpson would wake up every morning and grab a globe and hug it with tears in his eyes on his knees and pray for God to save people around the world. 
Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept. Oh, I would have you. Oh, I would have. Oh, I would have if you had just come to me. Weeping over, the, over his people. Paul said in Romans 9, 1, that he would himself be accursed if he could reach out to his brethren. That's the whole point. This passage isn't for us to look at it theologically, which is what I just did, whether you take it as in all types of men or all men resisting the will of God or all men being universalists. That's not right at all. I've read commentary on commentary on commentary on what it is and what it means. But he's not trying to get us to think with our minds about lost people. He's trying to get us to, to, to feel with our hearts about lost people. He wants us to desire what God desires. I'm amazed at so many commentaries caught up in the theology of verse 4 and they lose the heart of verse 4, which is God's desire to see people saved. The whole point of this passage is to take our cold and our callous and our careless hearts and to warm them up and to make us have caring hearts. That the church, and I almost held the sermon that tonight, God's heart for the lost. And if it's God's heart for the lost, it must be our heart for the lost. We pray for the lost because it's God's will for us to pray for the lost. Our hearts are to be warm. Charles Spurgeon said this, I would sooner bring one sinner to Christ than to unpick all the mysteries of the divine word. For salvation is the thing I live for. That ought to be our heart. Wherever you fall on what this means, we've got to come back to the whole point of it is God's heart for the lost must be our heart for the lost. Number three. It's not only well-pleasing to God, reason number one, and the will of God, reason number two, but also it's the only way to God. Look what he says. He says, who will have all men to, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he says in verse five, there's only one way of salvation. It's the only way that people will be saved. There's no other way of salvation than, than we need to be begging God to save people. Look what it says. There's one God. I love that. Pray because there's only one God. This is the most fundamental truth in all of the world that there's only one God, one creator, one final judge. That in, the, in, in Genesis 1, it was in the beginning was God. There's only one God. There's not many gods. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there's none else. There's no other God beside me. So it shows us here that all men must come to God, this one God, if they'll be saved. So we must pray to that God that they'd be saved. There's one God, not many. We have an inclusive mission, which means we go to all. But we have an exclusive message, only one God. In that time, there were so many gods. And I wrote down some of them. Rome had hundreds. They had a God named Jupiter, a God named Neptune, a God named Hercules. You guys know Hercules. They had a God named Cupid. He was a God of love that shot arrows. We celebrate him on Valentine's Day. The Greeks had 12 gods. I'm going to name all of them. They had Zeus and Athena and Apollo. Apollo was the god of music. I didn't know that, but in almost every city across America, there's an Apollo theater. And it's where people go and play music. It's a god of the, of the Greeks. They had Aphrodite, the god of sex. All these gods. And they thought there was a God for you and a God for me and a, and a God for everybody. And there was multiple ways to, be, to, to get to God. 
You got a way to God good for you. You got a way to your God good for you. You got a way to your God good for you. There's multiple gods and multiple ways to those gods. Like our culture today, coexist. <laughs> Don't you dare put a cross in the middle of a coexist sicker. Jesus doesn't belong there. There's only one way. There's only one God. That's what he says here. There's only one God. That was a big deal then. <laughs> so this is the only, only God. And all men must come to that one God if they're going to be saved. So that's why we pray. And then he goes on to say this. If there's only one God and there's only one mediator. So you see that. I want you to see the, 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 how, how he's going back and forth. There, we're, we're reaching out to all, but there's only one God and one mediator. Between God and man. And who is it? The man, Christ Jesus. There's only one way. There's only one way for all men to get to one God and it is one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both God and can have a hand on God and, and man. He's the only one that can stand between a holy God and sinful man. There's only one way. There's only one way for all men to get to one God and it is the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to God but through Him. He's the go-between. He's the one bridge. He's that gap. He's the, the, he's the restorer of peace. He's the, the reconciler, which means there are no other mediators. There's no other way for lost men to, to be saved and right with that one God other than the mediator, Jesus Christ. Without Christ, man will stand before God all by themselves. Scary. Without Christ, man will stand in their own, in their own righteousness. Without Christ, men will represent themselves before God. Without Christ, the books will be open and they will give an account before God and they will give an account for every single sin they ever committed. They need, all men need a mediator, Jesus Christ. So all men without Christ are doomed and damned forever. So we pray that they'll come to this one God by this one mediator. The world desperately needs to hear this. The way of salvation. The next one. There's only one sacrifice. You see that? There's one God, one mediator between God and men. That man, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for all. There's that word all again. There's only one way for all men to be right with God. It answers the question of how does Jesus save? He doesn't just come and be the mediator and say, sinners, come to God. He had to do something. This is the gospel. This is why we pray for the lost, because there's only one way of salvation for all men. And it says here, who gave himself. You see that he didn't, it, his life was not taken from him. He freely gave it. He voluntarily laid down his life. Jesus did not go to the cross as a defeated savior. He went to the cross as a conquering savior. I read a quote this week, and I want to share it with you. It says, Jesus was a warrior savior. 
He was an alpha protector. The greater David. The only one willing to face down the greater Goliath. The mighty man who went down into the pit when nobody else would and nobody else could. The strong man. The true human. The unique son of God. Sent by his father as the perfect sacrifice. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The one who is brought back from the dead, brought us back from the dead by his own blood. This is a warrior savior, not a defeated savior. He laid down his life. It was not taken from him. He laid down his life as a ransom. We think a ransom as somebody who kidnaps a child and we pay them money and we get the child back. But the ransom here is, and I give you something and I get something in return. The ransom here is himself. I give you myself. He laid down his life as a ransom. His life for ours in exchange. I give you my life and they get their life in return. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. This is an exchange. He died our death. He bore our sin. He took our place. He became the victim. And He was our ransom. He's the only way of salvation. One God, one mediator, Jesus Christ, and one sacrifice as the only way that all men will ever be made right with one God. That's why we pray. Because there's only one way of salvation. For all. Same term. One man for all men. One sacrifice opened up the way for all men to come in. I'm going to read you a passage. Romans chapter 5. Just to kind of give you an idea of what the same thing that we're saying. Romans 5.18 Therefore, as the, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. The offense of one being Adam. Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There is one Savior for all men. That's why we pray. And verse 7 says there's one message. You see that? For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, one sacrifice who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, and whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. And I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. You say, what is this? He says, for this I am ordained a preacher. This is the exact reason I go out and preach to who I preach to. If there was many ways to God, we wouldn't have to pray for everybody. If there was many ways to God, we wouldn't have to preach to everybody. Just let everybody have their own little way. Why go to Africa if there's an African way to God? Why go to, to anywhere else or, or, or to, or, or to the, the Mideast where the, all the, the Islam is? If that's their way, leave them alone and let them have their way. But there's not many ways to God. There's only one way to God. So we pray for all men and we preach to all men. Our praying got to match our preaching. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and we pray for all in the world. He said, I'm a preacher and an apostle. And it was my job and it is my job to take the gospel message 
to the Gentiles, to all the world. God specifically chose Paul to go to all men. Paul said, that's why I was chosen. That's what I've been sent to do. That's who I am. That's my job. And he says he does it in faith and verity. You put those two words together and he's saying, and I do it sincerely. And it goes right back to the heart. He's saying, I do this. I want Gentiles to be saved sincerely. I really want them to be saved. I'm doing it with all my heart. Paul here doesn't want us praying for lost people because we have to pray for lost people. He's wanting us to pray for lost people because we want to pray for lost people. He really wants us to want them to be saved. And when we get this, when we really want them to be saved, it will bring us to our knees and we'll get up off our knees and we'll reach out as far as we can and do anything we can to reach them. Just like when Hudson Taylor, his friend, fell off the ship. And he cared so much for that man that he risked his life to jump into the waters and go after him. He really wanted him to be saved. Do you really want men and women to be saved? The first thing we do is pray. And the second thing we do is we go. Just what he's saying. One message. We tell them. We pray and then we share. It shows very simply that as a church and as Christians, we must have a passion. Our driving motivation for everything that we do ought to be to see lost people saved. We must, and we should pray it tonight, God give us your heart for lost people. Break my heart. Make my heart grieve for people who don't know you. That ought to be our prayer tonight. That we wouldn't just be going through life and looking at people that we don't like. And, and you know that we do this. We look at the, as, uh, and we're bad for this. At the kings and those who are in authority over us. And we get mad and we, we make Facebook posts and, and we sit there and we, we hate them. And we rarely, if ever, look at these people who are doing some, again, some things that are, that are awful in our nation. And we genuinely get on our knees and say, God, would you save them? If we ever do pray for them, it's, oh, oh God, would you take them out of office? We need a true heart. And again, this is telling them to pray for those they disagree with. For those they don't like. I, I think he knows that it's easy for us to pray if we have lost kids. It's easy for us to pray if we have lost loved ones. If our spouse is lost, if our parents are lost, if our kids are lost, if our neighbor's lost, if our best friend's lost. I mean, we ought to all, if those people that are close to us and those that we love, we should be on our knees all the time praying for them. That's just natural. These are for the people that we really don't like a whole lot. This is for those people who don't agree with us politically. <laughs> this is for those who don't, don't agree with us in, in other ways. We ought to be on our knees praying for all men. This ought to be our passion. This ought to be our heart. To pray for all men. Get this, I've got you a little outline to end it. Our passion must be for lost men. Our prayer must be for all men. And our preaching must go out to all men. All three of those things. And it goes in that order. It goes in that order. If we get this, it'll start with our 
passion. It'll be our desire. It'll be uh, that here is my husband Josh. He reaches out to lost people. That's who he is. He's a preacher of the gospel. It's our passion. Here's Weston Baptist Church. I've never seen a, a church like it who, who's reaching out with arms wide open inviting people to know the Savior. That's our passion. And when it becomes our passion, it'll become our prayer. We'll get on our knees. It'll go from our hearts to our knees and we'll be begging God who is a saving God. Oh, won't you save Him? So it goes from our hearts to our knees, our, our passion to our prayers. And when we get off our knees, we start preaching it to people that are around us. That's the order. He wants us to be evangelizing in this passage. He's giving us the gospel in this passage. I think, first of all, He wants us to be a church reaching the lost. So it starts with our passion, goes to our praying, and ends up in our preaching. I'm going to read you one more quote, and I'll close. I was reading a book. You can see it. I was reading a book. I took a picture of it with my phone and printed it right before church started. And the quote's by Richard Baxter, an old English pastor. And he said this, Let your heart yearn for your ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting for them, ready to seize on them. And if they die unregenerate, they will be lost forever. Have your hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you are saved? If so, you have a sufficient cause to pity yourselves. For it is a frame of a spirit utterly inconsistent with the grace of Almighty God. Do you live close by them? Or do you meet them in the streets or work with them or travel with them or sit with them or talk to them and say nothing to them of their souls? If their houses were on fire, you would probably run and help them. Will you not help them when their souls are almost in the fires of hell? Wow. He closes it with this. Oh, Christian, see these people. See the faces you work with. See the people you live next to. See the people you stand in, in line at a, at a store with. These are souls destined either for eternal suffering or eternal Satisfaction, either hell apart from Christ or heaven with Him. Pray, Christian, pray. Yearn, Christian, yearn for the advancement of the gospel to all kinds of people in your city and across the world. May that become our heart, our passion, our prayer, and our preaching. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a challenging word tonight. And it is. This, is. this is a challenge to us. We are so easily distracted. Our hearts easily become calloused and careless and cold. And I pray, God, that you would use this passage tonight to warm our hearts. To give us a passion for lost people. 
And God, that it would move us to pray. And I'll pray even now that, oh God, you would reach those people that are around us. We started the sermon out praying for those who are in authority over us that they'd be saved. But now I pray, God, for our little town here, Big Stone, for our surrounding towns, Lee County and all throughout Wise County, even into Dixon County, into Kingsport, Bristol, that you would use us, God, to reach our, our area, our mountains, our bunch of hillbillies with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, God, use us. Please, God, stir our hearts. Please, God, to let us be more concerned about what's going on in the hearts of people than what's going on in the halls of Congress. We are a life-saving mission. That's what we are as a church. Let us get back to that. And let it become our preaching. We know the gospel. One God, one mediator, one sacrifice, one message. We know it. We hear it all the time. May we have the boldness to go and share it. Please, God. Use us to reach lost people. Let us never be satisfied until we're seeing souls saved. Please. Let that become our heart. Let that become my heart. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.